Hello, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder. True crime podcast with an element of baking. And what did we make this week? So this week we're doing the Freeman Brothers, and I don't know anything about them. So Emily had to give me a lot of help. <laughs> um, so she, I was just like, usually like, okay, what town are they in? Um, Allentown didn't really help me. Um, then she tells me, well, you know, there's a Coke cola factory in this town like it's a park it's a oh. stadium that's called coca-cola park oh <laughs> oh something to do with coca-cola yeah <laughs> so anyway um we figured out that we could do the polar bear which is a really easy quick recipe it's kind of like a little dessert thing and kind of like a almost like if you didn't have ice cream this could be like a nice substitute yeah so it's it's called the polar bear it's Coke. Um, I used Diet Coke. Two tablespoons of half and half and two teaspoons of vanilla. So if you want to make your Coke just a little more unhealthy, that, that would probably do the trick. Yeah. I was trying to think of how we can make it a little boozy. And I was thinking like, you could do vodka, yeah. rum, or like Bailey's in it would mm-hmm. be good. So um, my husband, we'll make my husband one of these after this and make it boozy for him and see how he feels about it (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's vanilla syrup not like vanilla extract or anything yeah Yeah, okay yeah oh should we should we mention what we're doing tonight yes absolutely after this yes exactly so we are going to be guests on a podcast called horror versus reality with anastasia and morgan and we're very excited. They Their podcast is taking a horror movie and then comparing and contrasting it to a real case. So we're doing the movie Orphan oh tonight. Oh my gosh. It's for those of you guys that haven't seen it, it's really, really messed up. Yeah, right? it is. So I feel like, yeah, you should watch it because I don't, I don't really know the real story behind it or like what had actually happened. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear what they have to say. Me too. Um, yeah. And so we I also made like like a Russian crepe basically for that episode. So Yes. Yeah, so we'll see uh how that all goes. Yeah. But tune in. Um so Oh no. I gotta talk about <laughs> No. That. Okay, so side so back back to my today with uh, the Freeman brothers. Turns out they live in Salisbury County, as in like Salisbury steak. I would learn love to learn how to make some Salisbury <laughs> steak. I had such a hard time figuring out what to make. And as when we sat down, I asked her like, "Oh, so what town is this in?" She goes, "Salisbury," and I'm like, "Like the steak? Seriously?" <laughs> Well, it wasn't because. spelled like that, so. <laughs> or like, maybe it was. <laughs> like, I don't know how you spell Salisbury. I don't even know how you would spell it multiple ways, let alone oh. the way it's supposed to be. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Let's let's get into the Freeman Brothers. Okay. So, the Freeman family is a family of five. Brenda and Dennis Freeman are mom and dad, and they have three sons, Brian, David, and Eric. And Brian's the oldest. Brian and David are a year apart, and Eric is a little younger than them. So they're just like a normal family. Um, Again, this is Pennsylvania, and this happens in 1997. So 
February 27th, 1997, Dennis Freeman's sister, Valerie, hadn't heard from them in a while. So she went to her brother's house and his car was in the driveway. So she's like, okay, they're home. And, but the door was locked. So she went around to the back door and went inside. And when she goes inside, she sees her brother, Dennis, in his bed, covered in blood. And she goes and checks on her nephew, Eric, who is also in his bed, dead, covered in blood. And they had both been bludgeoned to death. She leaves and calls the police immediately. Um, I wouldn't want to stay in that house either. Um, And so when the police show up, they find Brenda in the basement. Oh, my um, Stabbed and also um, beat up pretty bad. And David and Brian are gone. They're nowhere to be seen in the house. And then the police also see swastikas drawn on the wall behind Brenda. So now they're thinking this was like an organization thing, possibly. Yeah. Um, There's some sort of meaning behind it, obviously, if you're drawing symbols. Dennis was a custodian at the high school, and Brenda was a stay-at-home mom. And they were pretty much like your average family, but... Uh, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. So Jehovah's Witness is like Christian, but their practices is what makes them different from other, like, sects of Christianity. Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate holidays. They do not celebrate birthdays. They do not vote. They do not serve in the military. And one of their, what they're most known for is they actively recruit you know, they go door yeah. to door, like, can I talk to you about religion, stuff like that. Really? I didn't really realize, you know, also one thing about Jehovah's Witness is they won't receive, like, blood products from anyone else. So, like, in the hospital, say oh. uh, they were in a car accident and they need a blood transfusion, they won't accept it. Really? Yeah. So they would rather, they would yeah. die. Yeah, they think that, like, I mean... Like, in their opinion, it's, it's God's It's their plan. belief, yeah. Yeah, right. So it's, I it's God's plan. And so wow. they say that, um, you know, like, if God will save me. Otherwise, I don't want, I don't want any more blood products. I think it's like, wow. maybe it's like something to do with, like, the purity of your own blood, like, because they believe that if they were to receive some someone else's blood, then that would condemn them, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's really, but... They so have a lot of different... The rules. Yeah. Yeah. So that's religion. one thing with like. I did not know that. I think or... sometimes with Jehovah's Witness. Witnesses? Witness? They'll wear um, like a bracelet or like a necklace. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a medical alert. Like, hey, don't give me blood. Wow. And so as medical professionals, we have to know this. Um, that if they're Jehovah's Witness, they will not want to receive blood. And that's their right. Like, yeah. the doctor can have not do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. If we don't know any better, then we can do it. But, I mean, because it's life-saving. Yeah. But typically, that's why they wear the bracelets so that, like, we should check. Mm-hmm. We should know. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize all that other stuff with Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. About the birthdays. That's interesting. I didn't know that either. Um but another big thing, they Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to socialize with anybody who is not in the religion. So they really keep to themselves 
except when they're actively recruiting. That's like the only time that they talk to anybody who or hang out. Well, that's not really hanging out, but you know what I mean? Like they do not socialize with anyone who is not within the religion. Um, Maybe that's why I don't know any Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that would be why. They don't want to know me. (laughs) If you personally know a Jehovah's Witness, they must be breaking with the faith, I guess. (laughs) So Brian and David had to wear, and Eric, they all had to wear suits to school every day. Even though they're not allowed to socialize, they are sent to public school and... But their parents do not let them participate in any school activities, clubs, sports, like none of that. Because that would be socializing with people not in their religion. So it's kind of, it's a very loving, but like with these rules of their religion, it's like a strict household that um, the brothers kind of grow to really not like. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I already said they had to wear suits every day. So they're kind of like ostracized even more there they stand out a lot and by their early teens brian and david were over six feet tall and 200 pounds so they were very they were like huge people stand out they really stand out they're really like a sore thumb in the community you know absolutely you know that actually reminds me of that um like in elementary school, I remember there was this kid that would bring a briefcase to school, and I still talk about it with my family <laughs> today. Hmm. So like, like we would we know exactly who it is, and that was in elementary school. So yeah. guys wearing suits in high school, especially a pair of brothers that are super tall and super noticeable, it's gonna get talked about. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, in their teens, they started wanting different things, and they stopped going to church. And they started rebelling, which is kind of a normal thing for teens, you know, but it gets a little, not a little, it gets out of hand. Mm -hmm. So Ryan writes a school essay venting his feelings. And in this essay, I'll like put some quotes in it throughout, but um, this is part of his essay. It says, my parents were Jehovah's Witnesses and were very devout and strict. I was submissive of this until I turned away from my parents and began living my own life. From then on, I went to war with my parents and everything they believed in. So at this point, he's like no longer like going along with it at all. He now thinks he's at war with his parents, literally. That's a little TMI for a school essay. Too. I know. Like, I wonder what the, like... It what gets they, crazy. What was the assignment? Like, who knows? Right, an internal stroke. I don't know. Like, yeah, like inner soliloquy. I guess I don't know. <laughs> so Brian and David begin drinking, smoking, um, doing drugs, and like just getting like really, really angry at like everyone and everything. And this power struggle really starts to happen between the two brothers, David and Brian, and their parents, Brenda and Dennis. And Brenda and Dennis have, like, no idea how to deal with them. And they're really getting steamrolled by their own children Mm -hmm. um, because they've never had to deal with that before. And their younger brother, Eric, is still very devout in their religion and obedient. And unfortunately, Brian and David really resented him for it because Eric was clearly the favorite now, you know. 
And they grew to hate him for it and kind of, like, torment their own little brother because he wasn't like them. I mean, I can kind of see that, like, seeing him, them and, you know, they're disagreeing with their parents and then he's sitting there agreeing with them, just the younger brother. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, you're such a suck-up, probably, kind of attitude towards him. Right. So Brenda and Dennis have them committed for substance abuse and mental health at this point because they feel like they have to do something. And... David spends a month in 1991 at Reed Shelter Care for substance abuse, and Brian is sent to a mental hospital in 1992. So they're in separate places, and neither of them take this treatment well. Um, Dennis visits Brian at the mental institution at some point, and they fought, and Brian ended up separating his father's shoulder. And he writes about it in, like, these journals or whatever. Um, I don't know, maybe for therapy they had him write about it. But he writes that he just continued to pummel his dad with his fists. And he says, I'm glad I did what I did. And if I could do it over, I would do the exact same thing. So they're getting crazy. Right. Like, isn't that kind of a sign that something, like, that, I mean, he's already violent, and this is, you said this is 1992, and, I I mean, we're kind of focusing on the boys, so I'm assuming that the boys had something to do with the murder, so, and that's 1997, so that's five years later, (laughs) I mean, unless there's, like, a crazy dramatic change. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's my fault, the murders eventually happened in 1995, but it's still a couple of years. I, I said that wrong. Oh. I said 97. I didn't mean to. Okay. My bad. But still a couple of years. I mean, but I, yeah, I, there's, I see that a little, well, still. Yeah. Um, it's still a few years. Right. Exactly. And like, he, they're already displaying this and he's already kind of where he needs to clearly be. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, I guess I don't know that I don't know exactly what happened. But I am judging the Institute a little bit because of the fact that, um, or at the hospital, whatever. Um, because why was he alone long enough with his father to be able to dislocate his shoulder and pummel him? Right, yeah. Like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. a little better? I mean, I like, when you I think. was, when I've been on the, in my hospital, on the psych unit, we have if there if family comes at all, they're in the community area where there's always somebody there watching them. I mean, then again, when I've done it, it's been me that's there watching yeah. them. So if there's a <laughs> six foot man, two hundred pounds, gonna be going after his father, I don't really know what I could really do to stop right. it. Besides, like, hey, someone give me the hell doll and call security, help, <laughs> help. So actually, I kind of do get it now that I think about it because. I can't, I can't, I would not be able to take that guy down. No, probably not. <laughs> um, the counseling at these places is not working at all. Um, but Brian meets somebody in this facility that he starts to feel connected with. And he related, this person relates to Brian, and Brian felt listened to for the first time ever. And this guy, like, after befriending him, and he finally feels like, oh, you know, I've got a friend. This guy is like, let me tell you about my my family, like my found family. Um, and he is 
in a neo-Nazi white supremacist group. Oh. Yeah, good people are good people, right? No. Mm. And Brian, like, feels like he's seen the light and that these people are going to be his new family, unfortunately. And Brian writes, this is in his school essay that I spoke of before. It was in rehab. I met a skinhead there who showed me the problem with drugs. And after getting off drugs, I spent a lot of time thinking about life. I had a clear mind for the first time. So that's okay, great. This guy got him off drugs, but is filling that hole of where drugs used to be with something completely wrong. Right. A lot of hate. Yes, exactly. And he starts to channel all of that anger and stuff into this group. And this particular group of guys believed they needed to remove the government themselves, take it in their hands, and hated Jewish people and all sorts of ethnic groups. Um, So when Brian got out, he went to one of their meetings, and they made him feel very comfortable, him and David. And in this meeting, like, how people recruit for things like this, they're kind of like, you know, they, they don't lead with like, let's go kill people, you know? Right. So they just read scripture to them that first meeting. And they come from a Jehovah's Witness background, Jehovah Witness. So it's scripture they're familiar with. So they're relating to them, but they're twisting the meaning of this scripture to their own means, you know? Yeah. So I was going to say that's really common. I mean, just with with Bible and with scripture, mm -hmm. when you read it, you interpret it your own way, and yeah. I think that you can read a verse and have 20 different pastors tell you it means 20 different things, right? you know, and have a whole sermon on what the meaning of this is. Mm-hmm. So I can totally see them being able to take, take a verse and be able to uh, morph it into whatever their vendetta yeah. is. And their is whole thing. Yeah. Vendetta? Yeah. <laughs> I'm smooth. I'm smooth. <laughs> What they were telling them is that white people were descendants of Abel and all other races were descendants of Cain and that white people were part of this biblical prophecy. They're like, clear, look, it's written right here on the page. Like, okay. Yeah. So the brothers uh, started to really bond with them, felt like they were a family and understood each other. And they started this us versus them mentality. And, I don't know, David and Brian really felt connected to that. That's kind of, they were looking for a fight like that, you know, already. So they have an outlet now for this danger and stuff that they want in their lives. Mm -hmm. So they, Brian and David shave their heads, wear black boots, get swastikas tattooed on them. They're committing to the look, you know. And, like, Mm -hmm. okay, if you want to wear, like, all black and stuff, like, that's your prerogative. But, like don't get a swastika tattoo. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when you start doing that, then it's a little, uh, it's crossing with a few lines. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brian is clearly in charge, and David just follows him around everywhere. Um, Brian and David are one year apart, I think I said, and mm-hmm. they're, at, at the time of these murders later, um, they're 17 and 16. So, um I don't know if they are that age yet at this point or not. Um, whoops. But 
Yeah, they're, they're young, though. They're only teenagers. Mm-hmm. And they start building a very scary reputation around town. And people are becoming, like, scared of them, obviously. And they hand out pamphlets at school for other teens to join their neo-Nazi group. And they did end up recruiting a few. Oh. Um, a few people. Including their cousin, Benny. Benny Birdwell. So... Um, Is that Valerie's son? No. Okay. No. Some other cousin. And then Brian writes, again in his essay, I have chosen a career very different from mainstream thinking. I plan to be a soldier, not in an army or for any country, but rather a soldier in a final war where the white race will rise above the Jewish oppression and conquer the world. He's writing this in a school essay. None of his teachers were like, hmm, Red flag, like, right? And oh no, no, that's just so bizarre to me. I can okay. So what I'm picturing is just this kid walking around wearing all black with a shaved head, black big black boots, Mm -hmm. tattoos. Like obviously, just you don't even have to see his writing to know that something's going on especially when yeah before he'd only wear suits like this is a very big change exactly so clearly there's something like mentally going on here and i just think that someone needed to step in where well i don't know it's so hard because clearly like the family was kind of already trying but yeah it just kind of got worse after that yeah they treated it like a joke you know mm-hmm. um And Brenda and Dennis are, like, completely horrified by their son's new beliefs and attitude. Like, there's no room for racism stuff in their religion and in their home. So they just can't believe this is happening. Like, Mm -hmm. they're like, we did everything right with our kids. You know, we rose rose them. We raised them right, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's a scary, that's a scary thought. Like, you can do everything. And your kid might still turn out like a piece of crap. Right. (laughs) Scary. (laughs) Not Jilly, though, of course. Of course. <laughs> no, Jilly will be perfect. So Brenda and tries to get social service agencies to help them, and she has them go to an anti-skinhead meeting that the cops were holding. But they totally treated it like a joke. They, like, laughed the whole time. Um, so Brenda's trying to send them to places where she thinks might help them or get through to them, and, like, nothing's working. And at the same time, they're acting like, jerk teenagers yeah they're just being like a-holes yeah <laughs> at that time i mean like i just picture it and i just like them rolling them out their eyes and laughing and scoffing at things like just the classic teenage behavior that i want backhand i know <laughs> i know <laughs> you shut your mouth i know it's like they start making a lot of threats against their parents at this time So Brenda actually calls the cops on them a few times because she's afraid of fights breaking out in the house and violence, and she's starting to be afraid of them. And one time, the police came and had to pull the boys off of Brenda because they were trying to attack her with a hatchet. That is terrifying. Yeah. I I cannot... She refused to press charges after that as well on her sons, but... I can't imagine being scared of my own kid or thinking they might kill me. Like, right. Uh, you, no one wants to ever think that. Like, that's a 
totally scary thought and sad. It's so sad. I just can't even believe that she had to go through that. Yeah. And still was trying her best not to, like, like prosecute them and like ruin their lives. Yeah. You know, she just see she's still a mother. Still, that's she clearly still loves them. Yeah. I'd like to see. I wish I could get like an insight on like what the house was like, like what the lectures were like. If the parents seemed really judgmental and, and um, were bringing them down a lot. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to yeah. think of like what could provoke them that bad if I mean, yeah, it's I hard. Know. I don't know. She, Brenda was really determined to solve this problem within her own family and her church family. Mm-hmm. She thought she would save them through faith not jail. Like, she didn't want them to go to jail. She wanted to cure them, like, spiritually. So she was really holding on hope that that would happen. But things are spinning out of control very quickly. Um, Dennis starts sleeping with a baseball bat, and they put a padlock on their bedroom door. So they're terrified of their own kids and being held prisoner in their own room at night because they're afraid their boys will come in and attack them. And their aunt Valerie was living with them for a time, but because things were getting so violent in the household, they advised her to move out and find somewhere else to live. So she did. And in February 1995, Brenda calls the local branch of Anti-Defamation League, which is a hate and discrimination watchdog group. And Barry Morrison, who is one of the leaders of this group, He says he remembers their phone call and that Brenda was very cool and collected and like trying to seem like everything was under control on the phone, but he could tell she was like really desperate. And this phone call reaching out to this organization, um, besides calling the cops, was the first time she had ever reached out to people outside of her congregation for help. I mean, that kind of makes sense with what you were saying with Jehovah's Witness. Like, they don't really socialize too much with anyone else. I was actually surprised that earlier they had reached out, like, back in 1992, they had had committed their children to mental hospitals. Because Mm -hmm. that's got to be desperation if you're going, like, because that's against your religion. And then even then, then she probably was convinced, like, okay, well, that clearly didn't do anything. That actually made them worse. Yeah. And I stepped away from my faith at that, well, in her opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is only guessing. But she might have thought that she felt like stepped away from her faith in that time. Yeah. So she's probably like, I'm not going to go back. To, I'm not going to summon kids back there because it just made them worse. Mm-hmm. We're going to handle this within the church, within the family. So, yeah, that call was probably, yeah, really a lot of desperation. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he tells her, Barry Morrison tells her, he can't really help her, but he will make a referral to someone who is more handling that kind of cases. And he's like, let me, I'll call you back with somebody. So, um, and at this time, the brothers had bought a junk car and they had devoted like all their time to fixing it. Um, Brian was going to be... Um, turning 16, so he was really excited. He was going to be able to drive the car, um, and they would just sit in it and, like, smoke all day. And so Brenda sees this car. She's like, okay, he's about to turn 16. He wants all this freedom. She sees it as a way of possibly getting some control back over them 
So she sells the car. Yeah. While they're sleeping. Like, she's so scared of her kids that she makes this deal and sells it while they're sleeping at night. And they wake up the next morning and are furious. And they, like, start threatening to kill her. And um, she thinks it's a punishment. I mean, you know, as a mom, like, that you're trying. But they this, like, really stokes the fire a lot that this car they devoted their time with is now gone um and in response they're so angry in response to this they go get their foreheads tattooed and david gets sieg heil on his forehead which is allegiance to fuhrer and brian gets berserker tattooed on his forehead oh my gosh yeah see okay you know what like i mean i'm not gonna speak like ill of Brenda but I just don't know obviously in hindsight that wasn't the best move um it's just that's kind of what I was saying earlier when I mentioned that like I wonder how things were handled in the household yeah because these kids clearly like didn't feel respected and they were looking for an organization and a group where they felt like they belonged and then for them to like they were clearly kind of passionate about this car and were really looking forward to it for her to just sell it out from under them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, that really, for one, just damages any sort of relationship you could, like, that you were maintaining. Yeah. February 26, 1995, Brian, David, and their cousin Benny are hanging out. They went to a movie and went out to eat. And Brenda has a curfew for 11 p.m. So mm-hmm. they go back to the house. To make sure they're there when Brenda checks up on them. And then they're like, okay, she checked in on us. We're going to go. We're going to sneak back out. Mm-hmm. And when Brenda comes to check on them at 11, she sees that Benny's still there. It's a school night. So she says, hey, Benny, you have to go home. So Benny goes out the front door. Brenda goes back upstairs. Mm-hmm. And then Benny just comes right back in through the window in the bathroom. <laughs> Yeah, like, he, first of all, he's her cousin, so he's disrespecting his aunt, too. Right. It's not just the brothers, you know? Like, Brenda hears them, comes back down, and tells him, hey, you need to go. So he goes. And this happens three times, where she comes down, tells him to leave. He go- leaves, comes back in. Three <sighs> times. And the, after the third time, Brenda is so mad, she comes storming down to the stairs to the basement, starts to argue with Brian very loudly tempers are like flaring brian grabs his knife and stabs her in the chest she starts to scream and he stuffs shorts in her mouth and then continues to stab her as she falls she falls to the ground and that's very clearly like a like heat of the moment i mean i i believe he probably would have done it whether they got in this huge fight anyway at some point but uh you know Right. Yeah. And so messed up because it's such a a teenager thing that just then escalated so much. Mm-hmm. And so he he had wild. zero he had zero um what is the word? Like when you can't stop yourself, or like when there's not that voice in your head telling you to stop, um Voice of reason. I can't remember. Yeah. What am I trying to think? Like impulse control. Impulse. Yes, he was impulsive mm-hmm. in that moment. Like, I mean, I'm not saying we all have impulses like that because that's a little aggressive. 
yeah. but when he's sitting there and he's when he's already thinking that he's super aggressive and he's an outcast and and he's against it's us versus them type attitude mm-hmm. so then he's already kind of gaining that aggression he thinks oh i can do this for sure and then there's zero impulse control to where he actually then it goes and do, does it yeah I just feel like it could have been so avoided, but I don't know how. I mean, yeah, in high, everything's easier. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, right, everything's <laughs> easier when you're you're looking at it after it happened. Yeah, oh, it's so messed up. Poor it Brenda. is. I know. Um, and then Brian turns to David and Benny and says, "You know what to do. Don't wuss out on me now." Benny and David go to Dennis's room, who is asleep, and that. David has a baseball bat, and Benny has a pickaxe. And David hits his father with the bat, bashes his head several times, and crushes his skull. And he hits him so hard that the blood spurts out so violently, it shoots up and hits the ceiling. And that is is anger. If you're hitting someone that hard... That it's that's horrible. I have no words. Just the I it's disgusting. doing that to your your family, your parents. Yeah, I, I I can't even imagine. No. And um, then they go in Eric's room, their little brother who's eleven, and do the same thing. Oh my gosh, this child! Like, yeah. come on, don't you guys realize that he's a kid? He's just a kid. I. I could never, ever, ever imagine hurting any child, any hurting anybody, let alone my brother, a family member, my parents, like, never. No. No, no. not at all. So the three of them quickly realize, oh, we should get out of here. So they gather their things and leave. Monday, February 27th, Barry Morrison... Which is the very next morning, Barry Morrison calls Brenda back, saying he found someone to help them, who she had reached out to. And he finds it odd that nobody's answering the phone. (sighs) And that's when Valerie, their aunt, comes in and finds them. So I just, like, that. And then Barry Morrison said he feels so much, like... Guilt? Guilt and regret. Like, he's like, I missed her by, like, a day. Like, if I had called earlier and got the help, like this could have been different, you know, like, that's, that would be hard to live with, you know. It's just so hard because you don't know, like she, like he said, she seemed calm on the phone. I mean, like, although he could hear the desperation in her voice, he didn't fully understand the extent to which they were at. I don't think anyone would naturally come to the conclusion, oh, I definitely think these sons are going to kill their mom, you know. Right, I don't know. Like they just see an escalating home situation that needs to be solved, but might like it might not have been a priority at that time. That yeah. poor guy, I can tell, I can see why he would feel guilty, mm-hmm. but no one could have seen that. I don't. I mean, even Brenda living in the home couldn't see that. I mean, and she just that poor woman thinking that like. She's going down scolding her kids. That right. should be a normal thing. Doesn't Going know. down and scolding her 16 and 17-year-old children yeah. should not result in violence like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I no. just... 
I don't know how looking at it now, knowing like the story so far, I don't know how it could have been avoided because they just don't with with like their beliefs and what they did as parenting techniques, like it just You just could never imagine. You just that. can't imagine that. No. I mean no one thinks that their kid is gonna kill them. No. And I don't even I mean, they were afraid, but who knows if they really thought they would do it, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They were probably telling themselves, like, yeah, this is scary, but in the end, they're not going to do anything. Right. Because you want to believe that of your kids, you know? Right. So the story about them went public really fast, and panic just, like, swept the community because everyone was already afraid of the Freeman brothers. Mm-hmm. And so the high school is put on high alert, total lockdown, um, because there were rumors that the brothers would come back and terrorize the school, maybe shoot up the school. I can see that. Yeah. Absolutely, I can see that. I think that was really intelligent of the high school to do that. Yeah. And not continue, because... They yeah. had fought with most of the teachers there, too. So they're in safety for the students and teachers, they... Locked down the school and took precautions. Um, and because there was also an explosion of copycats after this. Um, of not people who were doing it, but people who started like dressing like them and acting like them, mostly for attention. But it still raised a flag that right. people would be inspired by that. That's Ugh, disgusting. You hate teenagers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Um, so meanwhile, the three boys check into a hotel in Midland, Michigan, and they check in at 2 a.m. and pay with one and five dollar bills. So the clerk thinks this is suspicious. Um, she thinks they probably robbed somebody. So she calls the police and the cops come and they don't see any drugs in the room. They, they're there face to face with the boys. But this is the... No search warrants are out in Pennsylvania yet, and these are Michigan cops, so they don't know who these three kids are, and there's no evidence of a robbery, no drugs, nothing illegal, so they're like, we got nothing. See ya, have a good night. Wow. Yeah. Because they crossed state border, so, but it was only hours after that that the warrants were made public for the three boys. So a truck driver in Michigan um, here's this like warrant out over the radio and just happens to see their car at a motel and he calls the police. And so the police and the FBI go back to the hotel, but they're gone. But they had placed a call from the motel to a skinhead in the area. So they go to this person's house and there they all are at this person's house and they're all arrested and brought back. So this term skinhead... Mm-hmm. Is that like is, when they're skinhead? Are they absolutely neo Nazis? Yeah, that yeah, that's like a Nazi term. Okay, it's 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 like slur of like Nazis, you know, because they like when you they like shave their head and they are called a skinhead. So okay, so that's what, is that what they call themselves or is that what we call them? Like um, like calling them both, like, both. Okay, yeah, they call okay. themselves that too. Mm-hmm. Um. And in the articles and stuff that I read, they, they were saying skinhead, so I use that word too. Okay. So don't come at me, people. <laughs> um, 
I used it because they were using it. So anyway, um, they were taken back to Pennsylvania and the town starts to feel pretty safe again. They're like, okay, they're caught. This is over. Um, let's be in peace. But March 2nd, 1995, only nine miles away, teenage boy Jeffrey Howorth, who was a regular high school kid, he was on the swim team, he worked as a janitor at a church, he has never had a single incident of violence of any kind, loaded a 22 caliber rifle, and waited for his parents to walk in the door. He shot his mom nine times, waited for his dad to come home, and shot him five times and killed them. And he, Jeffrey wrote this like manifesto note um, saying, I told you I would do it. You can't say I didn't warn you. I want a TV movie to be made about me after I kill everybody. And he writes about how inspired he was by the Freeman brothers. He really admired them, thought they were just so cool. He was like, look what they did. They're awesome. They're famous. I want to be famous. And it's this kid with zero incident who's just, um, just because the Freeman brothers did this, he's like, I should do it too. And they start thinking in this town, it's like an epidemic of crime. That's terrifying. Yeah. That happens like with school shootings too. Yeah. Like if one school shooting happens, then like other people get like inspired to do it or like when there were mass shootings going on quite a bit, it was yeah. like it was sparked from one person doing it, and then the and then the person that's miserable that also has all this hate and anger, um, then like attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeffrey, how old was he at this time? He is. I don't think I wrote that down, but he was he's somewhere between the age fifteen and seventeen. Okay. So, with that, it's just, like, it's interesting because, I mean, like, although he has no incidents outside of the home, mm-hmm. him saying, like, don't say I didn't warn you makes me think that he just had, like, a really yeah. bad relationship with his family and they might have, like, pushed him a lot. And, like, I'm not saying that anybody deserved this because this is definitely an overreaction. <laughs> but at the same time, I just feel like... When you, when, even though he had no incident outside the home, I think that there was, he probably had like a mess, a bad home life, just a bad relationship with his parents in the end. I mean. Maybe. Maybe. It didn't seem like that, but like, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, you know? And then they do find out though, that he has gone his whole life with an undiagnosed mental illness. So... That's probably, not probably, that's a huge factor. Yeah. Um, And he is arrested. Okay. And um, Jeffrey watched the news. It was only a few miles away from him. It was like a nine-minute drive from his house to the Freeman's house. Um, He says he was thinking about doing it for a while. Um, But where the Freemans were... With their case, it was this escalating anger and kind of a revenge on their parents. With Jeffrey, it was like a psychologist I saw in an article wrote this. Like his wasn't any type of revenge or anything. It was just this cold, calculated murder to be famous. So because the psychologist said that, it led me to believe that there wasn't anything with the parents going on. 
But yeah, I don't know. After a few months, the three boys start talking to the police and Benny says he didn't do it. He didn't want, he didn't participate in any of the murders. He was just afraid for his own life. He's turning on his cousins. So December, 1995, Brian signs an agreement that he confessed to killing his mother to avoid getting the death penalty. And instead he gets life in prison. And he also, with this deal, cannot testify against his brother and cousin. And then David does the same exact thing. He confesses to killing his father to get life in prison. Um, and in April 1996, Benny is convicted of murdering Dennis and sentenced to life in prison. And they're all in three different facilities in Pennsylvania. Nobody admits to or is convicted of Eric's murder to this day. So everyone knows they did it, you know, but um, nobody, because they took these deals, nobody's convicted of Eric's murder, which I think is bull. This is, that's so stupid that they even gave them those deals. They didn't need to. It's pretty cut and dry. It's obvious, right? I don't, why did they, I don't understand why they needed to give them these, these bargains. Yeah, I don't know. I like, I guess life in prison is life in prison, but still, I feel like Eric deserves he his deserves name it. to be recognized. Yeah. As, like, it, like, it needs to be recognized as who, who, who did the act. Like, either way, I know, like, some people are like, either way, it doesn't change the sentence. Life on top of life is the same thing. But, like, to actually have a conviction, like, nobody, no, there's no consequence for Eric's murder. Right, exactly. Like, this poor kid just... And I wonder why they never admitted to it. Do you think it's because, like, they kind of realized how messed up it was after the fact? And they don't want to say that they're the ones that did it. Yeah, I guess. None of... All three of them are like, no, it wasn't me. So, they don't want to... then who was it? Right. I'm like, it was was one of yous. Like, okay. Who do you think? If you just had to guess. Um, I I guess Brian. Yeah. I don't um actually I was gonna say I said yeah, but actually I think it was um Benny. And that's kind of the common belief that it was him too. Oh really? Why what's what's the Um Because Brian was downstairs still with his mother's body. Mm-hmm. David and Benny were the ones in Dennis's room and then it just I think I read somewhere there was like Eric's blood was on Benny's shirt. I believe oh. so. I feel like that right there and says it. But okay. actually, that makes sense because Benny's already the one that's kind of like, no, 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 wasn't me, wasn't me. Like he's already kind of trying not to be a part of it. Yeah. So it does make sense that he would be the one that like had done it and now wants to backtrack and act like he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like if if it were the boy, other boys, they would have been like, yep, yeah, it was me. I did. Yeah. Because they were owning it a little bit more so. Right. So Jeffrey is found not guilty for the murder of his parents by reason of insanity. Oh, okay. So so he is sent to Norrison State Hospital where he will stay. You know what? I'll take that. I think that's acceptable. This poor, this this kid was diagnosed with a, well, was then diagnosed with a mental issue and that's yeah. kind of what we what we talk about a lot on this sh- show on this podcast that's mm-hmm. what i'm trying to say is we end up talking a lot about how 
you know, people aren't necessarily put in the right places in mm-hmm. the prison system. Yeah. So I actually think that that's appropriate for him. I do, too. I do. Yeah. I think if you... There must be some kind of mental break in order to just randomly kill your parents. Right. And, like, he he just... I think that's really what they chalked it up to, is this psychotic break on top of an undiagnosed yeah. issue. So, yeah. yeah. I'll take it. Um, so, in response to these murders, Barry Morrison organized a conference for educators and professionals from other backgrounds to discuss strategies for, for preventing youth hate crimes. Um, so, that's, that's a good one thing. good thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, Barry Morrison took his guilt yeah kind of and did something good with it yeah he didn't make it didn't turn into a bitter person well as far as i can tell yeah you just said hopefully hopefully. you know he turned it into something good Mm -hmm. um, that will help others and he won't he'll take things more seriously yeah he won't let something like that get past him again yeah and then last little bit here i found an article from 2015 saying that the boys are now remorseful and have changed. And Brenda's sister, Sandy Latish, Mm -hmm. visits them often. And she says that the boys are not what they were back then. They both regret what they did. Um, They wish they had never done it. That Brian has been baptized back into Jehovah's Witness religion. And she stands by them. The murderer... Of her sister, but also, you know, her nephew. Yeah, so I, that's, I hope they've changed. I, you know, I I actually think, I I mean, I'm sure that's correct because they're no longer teenagers. Right. They kind of grew up and realized it was a lot of teenage angst joined with us versus them mentality Mm -hmm. that then created these monsters that aren't, that's not them, you know, and yeah. I can, I can see that. I mean, they did something bad. They definitely deserve to be in prison forever. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that they're now remorseful and understand that they messed up. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's the Freeman Brothers. Not to, like, end this abruptly, but we are a Skype call about to start. Yes. <laughs> with the horror versus reality, so. Yes. Um, so, anyway, um... That's just with the Freeman brothers. That's crazy, though. Like, I just had never really heard that full story. And it just is shocking how quickly something like that can happen. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as, like, what am I really trying to say? As far as, like, an angry outburst that then turned into, like, it it was calculated to an extent. Yeah. I believe. Um, Like, they had talked about it. But then once it happened, then they're like, oh, shit, it's happening. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so then they just kind of jumped on board. Yep. It's All right. Very sad. But... Well, anyway, on that note, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you just heard A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder.